you're a female founder of a tech startup, yet you still feel like an outsider? In a world that is run by Silicon Valley, how do we, women entrepreneurs, create the businesses that change the future while overcoming the barriers of the tech industry? This show cuts through it all and is your guide in exploring tech confidently as you become the best founder you can be. I'm Maxine Kramer, founder and CEO of Menenia, where we want you to own technology and change the world. We fast track bold and impactful women into the world of startups by making tech as simple as everyday English. This means no more overwhelming jargon and instead having the tech literacy to funnel your big ambition into a resounding success. This is Cutting Through Tech. Welcome to Cutting Through Tech. I'm Maxime and on this episode, I am thrilled to welcome Dune Roshin, who is the founder of Female Startup Club and runs a brilliant podcast of the same name and is currently putting together her own non-alcoholic wine brand. Now, what does this have to do with technology? As you know, I love interviewing female founders generally, but also June has a a type of resilience, I think, and a type of spirit that we can all learn from. I really enjoyed having this conversation with her, and I I think you'll soon see why. She's jumped through quite a few hoops to get to where she is today in a way that I can only describe as, you know, inspiring to anyone listening. Uh, She's also consciously decided, actually similar to Eleanor's show, if you heard that the other week, of not going into tech. And the reason I bring these things up on the show is because, you know, whilst we think everything has to be tech-based, sometimes there are particular decisions we can make that end up being more suited for the type of people we are or the type of businesses we're trying to run. So, you know, to have a full perspective on this is so vitally important, I think. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and uh, hear about how defacing a wall might actually get you a job. Hello and welcome to the show, Dune. It's so exciting to have you here. How are you today? I'm really, really good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You have such amazing experience, uh, both in kind of getting to know the female founder space uh, with your own podcast, interviewing tons of female founders, and now on your own adventure of setting up your non-alcoholic wine brand. So I would love to delve into some of this today and also, you know, as we do on this show, have a bit of a tech angle to everything. Um, So top level, I'm just curious, right? You've interviewed so many female founders What's been your perception or your takeaway of the tech industry in that? For me, I see tech and kind of like the barrier for women is like it's it is a higher barrier to entry because you have to spend so much money on that development piece. Um, and as we all know, the percentage of VC institutional funding that goes to women is, you know, terribly low. So for things like tech versus things like e-commerce where the barrier to entry is quite low and you can get started with $100, uh, that is kind of like one perception that I have or, or one kind of like view on why it is the way that it is. And I was sitting on a panel at Tech Week alongside some really amazing uh, businesses like Airtasker and great big 
funded businesses. Uh, and we were talking about the benefits of bringing tech companies from Australia to the UK and like the, the tax benefits and things like that. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, I'm like a little bit out of depth here. Like I, I, I don't truly understand what I'm talking about. And that's when I was like, maybe like the whole SaaS side of things isn't for me. And I'm more like leaning into e-commerce. And what I've found in interviewing women as well is like, I actually struggle to talk about the kind of like bounce off the women who are building tech businesses because I don't have the language or like the knowledge to ask what needs to be asked versus e-commerce where I have a deep understanding. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's a few different thoughts there. It's uh, it's funny because I recently launched a program called Tech Literacy quite specifically to address what you were just saying. So I find that um, on the one hand comforting that Uh, It is a real thing because that's kind of the feedback I've been getting in the past few years, talking to lots of women in tech, yet also infuriating because it is such a barrier for people to feel comfortable in the space. I think that's what really bothers me about it because it's not about what you decide to do, right? E-commerce maybe is the best thing for you and that's awesome, but that it's that feeling of discomfort almost that makes you shy away from an entire industry that's defining our future is really um infuriating if i'm honest but yeah and it's sad yeah exactly it's so sad because it is so male dominated and we know this and then we know all the stats about the funding and everything and it's just like we need so many more women being guided into tech but it needs to start from a lot younger it needs to start in school it needs to start in programs within university it it there needs to be I think games focused towards women to like to, so you have an earlier understanding of it. I don't know why that is though, why it is so kind of male driven. I don't know what the answer is. What do you think? I don't know. It's um, like, it's, it's very weird. So I'm actually doing a talk in October for Ada's lists conference and it's called identity of tech, like the crisis. It's not just you. Cause on the surface, a lot of people would think I am a typical woman in tech. I started computing when I was five cause I just found it interesting. Uh, started programming and making websites when I was 11. I did computer science. I never thought I'd be a programmer and lo and behold, 10 years into my career now, like official working career, I'm no longer a programmer. But it wasn't because I wasn't exposed to it when I was younger. I think it's just I find programming for programming's sake not that interesting. If I look at some of my friends who are honestly some of the best programmers in the world, they get very interested in improving, like making very robust technical foundational code, right? And you need that aspect in in good working products as well. For me, it's always been why? like people, why are they using it? How can we make it better? And it's just like that, in that context, it's like any other product. Um, I'm sure you're finding the same, which we'll get to in a second. And so I, what I noticed the most when I talk to women in the industry is they have many interests and it's that combination, I think, that would allow them to flourish. But because that one element of um, not quite gelling with the tech isn't there, they exit it all together. And that's what's really sad. And why that isn't there is, I think, because it is male-dominated, so it gets explained in a male way, which doesn't always click or make sense, and so the loop continues. That's one angle, I think, of thinking about it. I don't know what your your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that 
kind of makes sense. But still, I'm like, that can't just be it. Like, to no, me, no. it's one of those things where I just don't really understand and I don't know where it, like, totally stems from. And I know that there's been so much advancement in terms of, you know, um, when we were working on the SaaS platform, we were working from this, I think it was called Barclays Innovation Lab, and they had these engineering, like, summer mm-hmm. camps mm-hmm. for kids who were really little. There wasn't a lot of girls in them, but there were a few. But I'm like, how come? I don't know. It's it's it like there is change, mm-hmm. but not enough. No, I'm with you. There's definitely not enough change. But talking about like kids and stuff, tell me a bit more about you, your background, how you were when you were younger. What led you to the path that you're on right now as a female founder? Um, well, I always love to start by talking about my childhood because I think that it plays a big role in who I am as a person now. And I used to not talk about it. I used to be a bit embarrassed about my upbringing, but in my kind of, in the last 10 years, I would say I've really embraced it and found how special it is and seen it in a totally different way. But uh, I grew up, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We were quite poor. We lived in a town on the side of a mountain that I think was populated by like 90 people. So extremely like in the middle of nowhere. Um, And so I had this really unique upbringing with my mom, who was a really hustler, single mom, trying to look after her only baby. When I think back about that time, I didn't know about the world. I didn't have, from what I remember, I didn't have any ambitions to travel. I didn't really know about the rest of the world. I think I was quite sheltered in that kind of sense of dreaming big. I don't know what my dreams were at that point, but the big pivot that came in my life was my paternal grandparents on my dad's side, they decided to give me the opportunity to go to boarding school. And that was really the moment that my life truly changed. And so I went to this all girls boarding school, private school, where there were lots of rules (laughs) and things were very different to a co-ed public school in, you know, a small country town. Um, But this really showed me what was possible. It showed me people who I'd never interacted with before um, and people who were really successful and people who had all these things that I didn't have but wanted. And so I started to dream really big and, you know, decide that that's the things that I wanted to pursue. I definitely wanted to travel. I definitely wanted to move out of Brisbane at that time where I was going to school and I wanted to have a cool career, like all these things that I, I didn't really know were possible suddenly became possible through education. And so after that, I tried the uni thing. I dropped out. I ended up enrolling in a course that was kind of like a two-year diploma for visual communications. And that was kind of like focused on graphic design and that kind of skill set, but it was also quite broad in that it covered photography, HTML code. And I never really wanted to be a graphic designer, but it it sparked this interest for me that I wanted to go into fashion. Like I was very into like visual things, beautiful things. I started interning wherever I could to get experience and basically like build a little bit of a, you know, background resume that could potentially lead to me getting a job somewhere really interesting. At the time, I wanted to work for a fashion magazine. So I knew I needed to get experience in a magazine. And I knew of this one kind of magazine. It was like a free leaflet kind of magazine that went out in the national or the maybe the state newspaper or something like that. 
and they didn't have anything available. But I thought, well, if I'm going to get a job, I'm going to have to like make myself known to these people. So I went out one day and I went to the local nursery and I bought a thyme herb and I potted it up in um, a cute little pot and I wrote, I'd love to have a moment of your thyme. And I put my portfolio kind of link on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also wanted to see inside the office because I'd never been inside an office like that before. I didn't know what it looked like or what to expect. So I dressed up as a delivery driver in like this oversized high-vis outfit and kind of like arrived, rang the doorbell, knocked on the door and was like, hey, I have a delivery for such and such. And came in, dropped it off, had a little snoop around and was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. I can see myself being here. And so she called me, the director called me that afternoon and was like, hey, we don't have an internship. This is amazing. Like we can give you something. So I did a 12-week internship there. And then I did things like, I think I did another internship at another magazine, but I saw this job being, I was just kind of into creative thinking at, at that time about how to get something that wasn't right in front of you and, or like that you didn't have a leg in kind of thing. Uh, another example of something like that that I did was there was a design studio that I was really interested in working in and they had had this application online which said, send your email resume to yo, check this shit out at laundrycreative.com. And so I was like, cool, what could I do that's a bit you know out of the box and not just sending my resume and my portfolio because everyone's going to be doing that. And so I took my, I'd worked at this other magazine at that point doing layout and design and some copywriting and stuff. And I pulled it all apart and stuck every page up on my wall. And I painted, yo, check this shit out, www.dunroshin.com. And I put like sequins on it and made it really fun. And then I knew that their building, their office was like floor to ceiling glass windows. And it looked out on this boardwalk that was like on the river in Brisbane. So I text my friend and I was like, do you want to come and deface a building with me tonight? <laughs> and he was like, okay, sure. So at 3am we go down there and I stick up this huge thing on the outside of the glass window so that when they would come in in the morning, they would see, yo, check this shit out in my website. And I was like, it was genius. Um, don't recommend it. It's probably illegal. <laughs> um, but also because you left something quite identifying. Like, do you know what I mean? Like normally if it's anonymous, so you can kind of get away with this. But this literally yeah, this is my name on it. Hello, this is my name. Here are my contact details if you want to get me in trouble. Um, and I left a little note for security that was like, please don't take this down. Like I'm not actually defacing the building. Well, I am, but this is a job application. Uh, anyway, uh, the next morning I got a call from the guy and the CEO and he was just like, this is amazing. Like when can you come in? Blah, blah, blah. All this to say that I did a lot of these uh, things to get experience um, and I was still trying to figure out what that actually meant and where that led me to working in fashion. And then I heard about this company that was opening in Sydney and I was in Brisbane and it was basically the largest, well, now it's the largest and most successful online retailer in in Australia. It's called The Iconic. But I just got told like, hey, there's this online fashion store 
opening. You should go and check it out. So I promptly like packed up my bags, moved to Sydney within three weeks and was like on their doorstep being like, hey, I want a job. (laughs) I want an internship. I want anything that you will give me because I'd love to work in fashion. And (laughs) they were kind of like, all right, well, we need all the help we can get. And at the time they were a funded, like heavily funded startup, but I didn't know what a startup was. And I certainly didn't know what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And I certainly didn't know anything about business. I was just more like, I want to work in fashion and I want it to be glossy and glamorous and what you see in the movies kind of thing. And they were this internet business that was like, on picnic tables, running the internet business through dongles because the internet wasn't connected in the building and like really scrappy. And I loved it. The culture was so much fun. It was like, do you know Rocket Internet, the company and the Samware brothers? They're like these guys from Germany who are known as like ruthless businessmen, basically. Oh, wait. Yes. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of their ventures, but in Australia. Oh, yeah. So there was lots of Europeans who I'd never really worked or known a lot of Europeans at that point in my life. I, you know, Brisbane didn't have the same kind of culture as something like Sydney, which is a more international city. And so I get to meet all these really smart people and I was working a part-time job elsewhere, you know, but trying to like be present in the mornings on my lunch break after work, like really just trying to like embed myself in the culture of this company because I really wanted to work there. Anyway, fast forward, get the job and kind of am tasked with being the creator of their social media presence. So was able to build like a huge community on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that cool stuff. But This was kind of the second pivot in my life when I really was like, one day I want to do my own thing. One day, like I want to have a business and I want it to be startup vibes because this is so cool and so fun. And, you know, you just learn a lot being around people like that. And especially men. I'd never been around men who were so like, you know, work till you die kind of culture and like work really late and work really hard and but in a way that was like exhilarating and really interesting and all these people who, you know, I'd just never seen before. Um, So that was kind of like the next phase where I set out on this mission to kind of go into the next chapter of my life. And that brought me to London. I moved to be able to travel. I wanted to kind of freelance a bit. I did some freelancing for IMG and another startup called Finder. And that kind of led me to meeting my husband. We met through a mutual friend. He started to see if I wanted to join him in building his SaaS platform. And I thought that was a great like entryway. It wasn't kind of taking a leap of into the unknown by myself. It was doing it like alongside someone and learning a new skill set and things like that, managing a team. I think at one point we had like 10 people. We also started dating not long after that, but we had like 10 people coming to our home, which was our office every day. And, you know, eventually we we're going to get evicted and all this crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, that was basically the the entry to building businesses with him. And fast forward to about three years ago or two years ago, I had that moment on, well, no, it must've been three or maybe four years ago. I had that moment on the tech panel where I was like, I'm out of my depth. I need to actually audit myself and figure out what I do want to do. And you have to do a lot of 
stuff that you don't want to do to figure out what you do want to do, I feel. Um, so I had that moment and then I basically was like e-commerce. You know, I've had this career in fashion working in e-commerce. I really loved it. I love packaging. I love things that are physical. Um, I love social media. And I launched my first e-com brand, which was a jewelry brand. Figured out that was the wrong product for me, but I still really love the e-com side of building a business. And basically around that time, I was reading a book by Tim Ferriss called Tools of Titans, which I truly, you know, I really respect him and I love what he does, but the book is like 10 women or something like that, or 10% of women. And, you know, it's really interesting because it's, um, it's interviewing and profiling these really high performers, billionaires, athletes. And I really love how men just approach, you know, talking about business and money and all that kind of thing. It's really direct, no bullshit, no fluff. And I was like, I just want to hear the same vibe, but from women. And that kind of set me on the course of female startup club. So I really had to hold back and be like, Maxime, this is a podcast interview. This is not a conversation. Like, you know, it, it, there were so many times I was like, oh my God, me too. Or like, tell me more about this or that. <laughs> but that's such an amazing story. And um, it's funny, I had the exact same response when I read that book, um, because I've always really enjoyed like little productivity blogs where they interview people and it's usually men, but that book took it to the next level of basically just being dudes. Still lots to learn. Like there's takeaways yeah. you can have from it, but it is different when you feel like you can relate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I love it. So one of the things that really um, stood out to me actually is your creativity, right? So kind of those two stories that you, you spoke about, about um, defacing a wall, <laughs> but also the time plant. That's just the cutest, most cleverest thing ever. Um, so in a environment now where I think everyone's trying to be slightly different, yet we're all doing the same thing on social media, how do you feel that people can... Um, embody that kind of creative energy or how have you done that with what you work on now, like Female Startup Club? Yeah, that's a really good question. Even simple things like writing a letter instead of sending an email. And that's something that I'm saying this now. I don't do it very often. I do it few and far between. <laughs> but um, things like just taking one extra step and adding more of like intention behind it I think is quite impactful. I like creating a little moment where it brings joy or delight. And that's not just in business. That's with my friends and my family or, you know, connections. It's, it's, it's anything. So when you're doing what everyone else is doing, you've got to figure out how you're going to stand out. And there's a really great book that talks about this as a concept. It's called The Third Door by Alex... I can't pronounce his last name, Bayanan maybe. And he talks about this concept where, and he gives a good analogy. There's the first door that people go through. So if you are at a bar, the first door you would go to is you would line up with the rest of everyone um, and try and get in that way. The second door would be if you are in the VIP line and you know someone who can help you in. And so obviously in business, it's like if you're applying to a job in a, you know, in a, office or corporate kind of place, you would send your resume application along with everyone else, or you would try and get connected to someone 
who gives you that like introduction to the hiring manager. But the third door uh, in the bar setting is the person who goes around the back and climbs in a window and army rolls through the tunnels to get into some sneaky door. And in business, it's the same thing. If you're thinking, well, if you're kind of like just thinking about a corporate structure, if you're trying to get someone's attention, what could you do that stands out? Um, And someone on the show recently actually told me how she stood out uh, in a situation where she owns this brand called Tower 28 and it's very millennial, Gen Z kind of vibes, really cute beauty brand. And she wanted to land Sephora as her dream retailer. And she had some advice from a mentor who was like, yeah, but don't just, you know, send your pitch deck or whatever and go and sit into that meeting because it's going to be the same as everyone else. I think she already had the meeting, but she's like, don't go into that meeting and, you know, put on your pitch deck and just say what everyone else does and the same thing. She's like, think outside the box. So they basically went and got all these like branded merch swags and all the the collection was focused around like lolly ice lollies or something like that. So they made all these ice lollies and they came in with a boom box into the office and started giving out products to everyone. So like with ice creams and with the music and all dressed up in fun things. And because they gave a lot of product to everyone in the office who then loved it, after they had their official meeting, people came and were like, hey, you know, people in, from customer service were like, hey, we tried that lip gloss and it's amazing. We loved it. And so they kind of just took a bit more of a fun approach that was really on brand for them. And they were able to, you know, they got into Sephora partly because their product is amazing, but also partly because they took that out of the box thinking. And I think it's something that people should think about more. Yeah. What I love about that example is oftentimes, right, we we put a lot of energy and effort into our services, offerings, products, whatever it is that we sell. And it's not that a product is good or bad it's does it get the opportunity to shine right and that's what's so difficult nowadays given that everyone is in this deficit of attention there's so many things going on like even when you think about products and you know I'm a bit of a beauty junkie let's be honest so I have tons of different lipsticks so for me to try something new you know it has to appear there it has to make it there next to all my favorites And what I love about your example is that the out of the box thinking, what it does is it doesn't magically make your product perfect. It gives your product the opportunity to shine. And that's often all that it needs uh, on top of being great, right? Like you rightly said, obviously, if it was a rubbish product, they wouldn't have made it into Sephora. And that's such food for thought. And this is why I love having you on the show, because it's all of these different skills that you need in business as well as in tech, right? And Often I talk about, of course, like the challenges in the tech world and the things you need to know and tech literacy and all of these things, but alongside sit all of these concepts as well about just being a great um, business leader, um, innovative thinking. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about Female Startup Club. Um, As you mentioned, it's e-commerce, so there's a slight different angle, but still it's it's running a business it's being a female founder and so what exactly is female startup club and what are some lessons that you'd love to share with with our audience that you've learned along that sure you know i just had this thought that came into my mind before i jump into female startup club Mm -hmm. and it's kind of going back to you know my perception of men versus women and things that are different from the beginning of this episode but something that just came to mind when you were speaking was 
I actually think that women, even though there's this barrier to entry when it comes to capital, I think that women really have an advantage at the moment. And that's because I'm in a lot of groups like indie hackers and trends, which are very male dominated, but I tend to see that when I post or when I take the time to do long form you know, sharing and lessons and things like that, that I've learned, I get a lot of really great feedback. And an example of that is I've been posting in trends, which um, trends is like a private community for entrepreneurs. It's typically, it's a, it's for any industry. So loads of guys in tech, loads of guys in real estate, loads of people in e-com, et cetera. But I spent a lot of time like posting my learnings and things like that. And that landed me on the cover of their like homepage and trends is owned by the hustle, which was recently acquired by HubSpot. And so it's just like really, really cool. And usually it's quite male focused. So the advantage for women is speaking up and putting yourself out there. And actually there are a lot of people, especially men in the industry who want to lift women up besides that money thing, which is a real problem. um, There is, I think quite an advantage for women at the moment in any male dominated industry to be, you know, putting themselves forward because people want more female founders, obviously coming into the space. Exactly. And actually I credit a lot of my career, early career to that because I was one of the few women in tech as a software engineer. And so I very randomly got the invitation to speak at a conference. And then once people know you, you're that girl, which comes with benefits and you know, also negatives, but I chose to really focus on the benefits and, and use that to my advantage. And um, people remember you because you stand out. And like you were saying, being different is actually important. So why not use that like very obvious difference straight away? I love that insight. Back to Female Startup Club. <laughs> in the beginning, I started interviewing my friends who were in tech or who were in e-commerce and just understanding how they were building their business, why they were building their business, what was working, what wasn't. And I wanted to do that because I was having all these conversations offline, which I was privy to these incredible insights. And I was like, hey, other people could benefit from knowing this the same way that when I read Tools of Titans, I was like, this is so cool. Um, I could you know, use these insights that I'm learning and publicly post them. So started posting to social media, quickly realized that's not a great format for being discoverable. So moved it to podcasting. And I just didn't even really think about the name, to be honest, because I had some like URLs that I'd bought a couple of years ago, like LA Startup Club, Female Startup Club, Brisbane Startup Club, like every city startup club. Dot com And um, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty relevant. I'm going to interview women. <laughs> you know, let's put that up there. And that actually worked really crazily in my favor because most people that I speak to are like, yeah, I found you because I was typing in female startups or I found you because I was looking for female entrepreneurship. So kind of found my feet a little bit. I was interviewing women in tech, women in e-commerce, women in de- just, you know, building private communities, that kind of thing. But what I found, and I mentioned this in the beginning is, I was much more comfortable in the space of e-commerce and I also knew that I wanted to do something in e-commerce in the future. So I was like, these are the lessons that I need to be learning and the people that I need to be meeting. Basically, I think I set myself a goal of doing 100 episodes in the first year and by April, I'd done like four. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm not going to reach this goal that I set if I continue at this pace and then COVID hit and I was like, well, everything's online. So I'm going to lean into this online business. <laughs> and then uh, I just got started scheduling, you know, so many episodes every week and 
hit my goal last year. And yeah, it's been growing really, really well. Um, we are a top 100 podcast for entrepreneurship. We evolved now into a private network for women who are building e-commerce or CPG brands. That's called Hype Club. And we have uh, kind of a beta group in there at the moment. And it's just so much fun. <laughs> the women are really brilliant. We bring in a lot of guests from the show to come in and do more kind of in-depth Ask Me Anything threads and live Q&A sessions where women can dig in specifically to get their brain power on their businesses, myself included. And, you know, that's really insightful and, and helps a lot. Then we have our resident experts like a business coach and marketing coach and things like that, um, a Facebook ads expert, all that kind of stuff. So people can use them to get their brain power. And then that's also kind of gone into a book that we have coming out in uh, October-ish. Mm-hmm. And yeah, busy times. It's been a lot of fun. That sounds amazing. Congratulations. That's so incredibly exciting. And what an achievement for basically a year, year and a half of like focused dedication. That's just fantastic. The blessing Um, of COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but I think that's the thing, right? A lot of things changed since that time last year and people have either really thrived or um, had to pivot. And I love that you really leverage that into setting that goal for yourself because as well um i find personally i find goals very helpful because it makes you approach things differently right like you said 100 episodes i'm not getting there with like an episode a week so so cool and uh, that wasn't enough for you so now you're actually also working on your own product i hear yes um a <laughs> a non-alcoholic wine brand tell us more about that yes so in january of this year we were doing dry jan, you know, post COVID where everyone's overindulged. Everyone's probably realized the negative effects of alcohol and your mental health when even it's a good and bad thing, like a love hate relationship. Um, and he is someone who he's from Switzerland. He loves wine. He's grown up around wine. Um, and we were just talking about how we wanted to have a, the ritual of, you know, a glass of wine on a Friday night, but we were doing dry January and we were like, Oh, And so we decided to go to the store and get all these non-alc red wines and lo and behold, they all went down the sink. They were so terrible. And we both just really had this light bulb moment where he was like, oh my God, this is it. Actually, I think I said, oh my God, this is going to be our business. Like this is going to be our econ business because he loves wine. I just have learned so much and have been looking for what I could really sink my teeth into and get behind. And yeah, basically we started working on the brand. It still has no name. (laughs) Um, I'm documenting the journey of the show and kind of trying to be really transparent about everything from money to our business partner who I just posted an episode, how we decided to split the equity And the goal is to pursue this right through until an exit and be very upfront about, you know, we're building this as something to sell and there's no shame in doing that as a woman and being kind of loud and proud about that. Um, And yeah, so far, so good. It's early days. We're still in R&D for the products, but we're getting there and it's so far looking good. But our offering is premium, better for you. Uh, kind of very like branded, fun experience that's currently not available on the market. Fair enough. And that you do not need to pour down your kitchen sink. <laughs> exactly. 
tastes good. <laughs> good, good. Um, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to touch on something you mentioned, which was around exits. And I think there is this whole perception about um, women, money, and even if you make money, that it needs to be for some purpose or some reason or some mission, right? Like making money for money's sake is somehow frowned upon. Whereas like you mentioned, guys, it's probably fine, right? Like Wall Street, like more money, more money, it's all good. And it's interesting because we had Marcia Kilgore on the show who um, is behind Beauty Pie, Bliss, Soap and Glory, Fit Flop. You know, she's had multiple successful exits. I was racking my brains on like how many other people I know that have been actually upfront with exits or just been really good at that. And off the top of my head, it's not surfacing. And that's a bit crazy. Like, can you tell me a bit more about, again, your your experience yourself and, and everyone you've spoken to around exits and, and we'll then segue probably into funding, which is a, you know, the precursor <laughs> sometimes for that. But why do you think it is that the perception around money is so different for women than men? Again, it's one of those things. I, I truly don't know why it's different, but it really feels like women don't speak a lot about that part of it. And so on the show, I've interviewed 200 plus women. Uh, a few are very upfront about that being kind of like the motivator and the drive and that kind of thing. But a lot of people aren't sharing that in that kind of language or that kind of way, yet they're funded. So of course, that's the goal. If you're funded and you have institutional funding, you are working towards an exit and you're making back that money to your investors. Hands down, that's the only goal. Um, and so I find it funny. And when I listen to men sharing, especially in these groups like Indie Hackers or um, Trends, for example, it's just so like, just, hey, yeah, I'm building this business. Or I like I saw this guy the other day being like, hey, I've had eight successful exits. And I was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And I think, you know, I'm someone that still likes to have mission-driven companies who are, you know, adding to the world, not kind of taking from the world and whatever your values may be. And that's great. And that to me is important, but it still also is important to be able to be upfront and saying like, Hey, yeah, I want to change my life circumstances. I want my children to have a different experience to, you know, what we had when I was growing up, because yes, it was unique and and I cherished that time, but it still was really hard <laughs> and it's not the ideal path. Uh, and I don't think that there should be any guilt or shame in saying that that's what you want and setting that goal for yourself and picking that number and like working towards that. And also why not me? Uh, why not me over some dude? It's weird to me that it's taboo to talk about money. I think money is so interesting and the way that men talk about it versus women talk about it. It's, I, I love learning from men because to me, I look towards that and be like, yeah, I want to be more like that. Uh, I'm currently myself working on a little side series of trying to interview different investors and so on to get more information as to why as of last year, women only get, they walk away with 2.3% of all the VC capital like that's being dished out according to Crunchbase. That's abysmally low, let's just say. And there could be so many reasons, right? Are not enough women applying? Are they asking for less money? Are the types of businesses they're rocking up with not investable for some reason? Because this is what I mean with the unknown truths of indeed a VC investor is looking to make money back quickly. So it needs to be the kind of business or the kind of model, or you can pivot into that model where more cash in equals more cash out, even more cash out, right? And not everyone is aware of that when they start because you also, also touched upon this earlier, 
It's true, getting tech developed is incredibly expensive and the only way they see this happening is because other people got investment, so of course they must get investment. So it's almost like number one on the to-do list, whereas it almost can't be because you have to show traction before you get that, et cetera, et cetera. All this to say, what does that look like for e-commerce and for you with what you're doing? Um, Because you also have an upfront cost, development like R&D cost and then production cost and so forth. Are you looking to raise investment? What are your thoughts on this? So we have a few different thoughts when it comes to the non-ALK brand. And the first is we want to avoid taking investment and, you know, giving away any equity until we truly need it. So we definitely don't have any interest in raising upfront. We definitely don't want to take on any dumb money or stupid money, whatever they call it, where it's not strategic. Um, And that includes friends and family, all that kind of stuff. We're kind of looking at it from a perspective of, you know, using debt to fund the business for sure, uh, whether that's through credit cards, loans, um, Shopify, like the the kind of classic go-tos for e-commerce. There's a lot of other companies, which I'm sure you're aware of, like Wayflyer and Clearbank in the UK that fund inventory and marketing for e-com brands. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for finance. You just have to go out and look for it and figure it out. You know, I've interviewed a lot of women now and I have a lot of friends who have raised capital and nine times out of 10, it's not a positive. It's really a negative. And through those conversations and seeing what other people have gone through definitely makes us feel, let's try and do it without, without that for as long as we can. Um, but who knows? Never say never. There's a few things I take away from that. Uh, one, which is something I've been talking a lot about with my clients is The stigma is that debt is really bad. And as long as you keep your business entity separate from yourself, you know, at least that's step one with that. But, you know, debt doesn't necessarily have to be bad. And I think some of that also comes from confidence of like, can I pull this off? Like, if you have debt, you really need to do this because I owe the bank like a lot of money, etc. So there's that whole conversation about, I think, people shying away from debt. And that goes back to like, not talking enough about money and the different options and why debt can be good. And again, a lot of guys are not afraid about debt, you know, of debt at all. Um, There are downsides to capital, like, you know, raising investment. And again, those are probably not talked about enough in certain spaces. And like you are rightfully saying at the start, you know, it's very easy to sign away a lot of equity for very little value. And that is, you know, when you then take off that business and you realize what you've created, and for what price you've given away those shares, it's it can be quite painful. Do you have any stories or, or things you'd like to share around that? You know, I've definitely heard the horror stories from friends or women on the show where, you know, investment can just be such a, a downward spiral for a business if you have the wrong partners. And, you know, you need to remember that if you bring investors into your business, it's like a marriage. You are speaking to those people all the time. You have to create the reports that they want. You have to, you know, be on the phone with them and deal with, you know, these people who have a say in your business, like you said. Uh, and so I think we feel as a team, me, my husband, and our business partner, very confident uh, with what we're doing, especially in the beginning to go forth without that and to figure out creative solutions. The problem, if you don't raise institutional funding, is 
you're likely not going to be the people written about in Forbes and you're not going to be the people written about in TechCrunch because they like often are reporting on funded businesses. And so that's like interesting to me too, that people who bootstrap seem to be not highlighted in the media, especially women, uh, the same way that a funded startup is, you know, getting a fund, like getting, um, you know, your seed round or your series A, it's like so celebrated, which it should be, but so should bootstrapped businesses who are, you know, growing month on month and doing all the same thing, but, you know, in a different way. So I think it's really interesting um, when you look at the two different things. And I can definitely see the benefits of even for us, like why we would take on certain investment with strategic partners and things like that, but not in the early days. We're going to try and wait and see how we go. Definitely. And also the the repeat use of the word strategic, right? Like at a certain place, at a certain time with a specific goal in mind and not just because you're like, ah, I need money. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst time to take money is when you're desperate and you need it because exactly. then you're more likely to say yes. You need to raise strategically when you're when you're ready. Well, I am so excited for you and this journey and to see how it goes and to listen in and, and kind of follow that along. Um, coming towards the end of the show, there's a few things I'd like to round off with. One, which is a bit left field, um, but I'm just very curious, which is what is one of your biggest tech frustrations? I'm starting to ask this of more people because I feel like it's changed. You know, back in the day, it was always like, well, the printer never works. But like in today's kind of very digital <laughs> space. What is one of your biggest tech frustrations? I think my biggest tech frustration, and I've really started to hone in on this recently and and make changes is the social media, like addiction and that feeling of like the negative side of social media. I don't know if you, you get this, but I was in this kind of like, I guess, phase or habit of just the endless scroll on social media. And I was, it would make me feel so um, down. Like I would always feel like I'm not doing enough. Like I should be doing more. I should be posting more on social media. I should be like doing more things in business. Like all these kind of things, just such a negative cycle to be in when you're already like doing a lot and you're thinking a lot and, you know, being like, so in your own head with that kind of stuff is just really ick. So I, a few months ago, I really switched my behavior and I stopped consuming social media altogether. So I, post on my own Instagram. I check my DMs because I have a lot of conversations there with listeners from the show, but I do not scroll. I haven't scrolled once since I kind of like woke up one Sunday morning and was like, I just don't want to like do that anymore. And so that was like amazing in terms of, you know, now I just don't know, don't care kind of vibe. And like, it's across the board. I don't watch any of my friends' stories. I don't watch any business stories. I don't watch anything on Instagram basically. And I don't scroll. I haven't watched stories for two years, but I was like obsessively scrolling, like really addicted to that behavior and I hated it. Um, so I really shifted that mindset and I'm in a bit of a bad habit at the moment, but I was good for a while where I was not looking at my phone before bed. And first thing in the morning, I've been traveling. So I kind of like broke my routine a little bit recently, but I'm going to get back into that. I think that's probably my frustrations with tech is that like the addictive side of social media. I like what you say about social media as well. And it's definitely something I struggle with because it's one of the reasons I used to be quite quiet on social media because I didn't want to get into it. And now it's, I find myself at a weird position where for my business, I would need to, 
but at the same time I just don't really want to be on social media and like how do I find that balance I've not found the answer for that delegate yeah there's that (laughs) that was like one of the biggest joys for me I brought on a content social media girl and she just made my life so much better because she manages our Instagram 100% and you know we have people who manage our TikTok and YouTube and things like that but Instagram in particular I was like I just this is a blocker for me I just don't want to be on the account like I I am just so like Instagram wears me out it really wears me down and having someone do that now it brings the joy back to it because I get to look at it and like enjoy our content whereas before I was feeling really weighed down by this like daily repetitive task of like posting and thinking what needed to be on there and all that kind of thing so I would highly recommend because obviously it's important it truly is important having that presence I would highly recommend having someone do that for you that's very true I think morally as well, I'm like, can I do it without tons of social media presence? Because do I want to add more things into into the world, right? Like if people are already like scrolling and not happy about the scrolling, yet it's addictive, like, I don't know. I I haven't worked out what I want my stance to be on it just yet. Uh, and I frequently thought, oh, if I just outsource it, that solves everything. It definitely solves a huge part. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ponder that a bit more, um, but I love what you say and I, I love that I'm not alone in that. And even as someone like yourself, who's got a background in being, you know, great at digital marketing, you know, even you're like enough is enough <laughs> at times. So yeah, I mean, 100%. Cool. Okay. And then one of the last things that I love asking guests on the show is what are your top three skills you think that without which you wouldn't be where you are today? Yeah, I love that question. One time a few years ago, my boss, who has become kind of like a really good friend, uh, but also kind of a mentor to me in business, his name's Jeremy. Shout out (laughs) to Jeremy. He told me that my superpower was networking and connection. And I really think that's something that it's not a skill that I like purposely planned. It's something that comes really natural to me. Um, But I would say that that's the thing that propels me forward is my ability to meet new people, to talk with new people about different, um, you know, industries, to connect people who just should be connected with each other. Um, And that's something that if you don't have that skill set in your toolbox, it's really hard because you, everything in business is relationships. It's who you know, it's who can help you, it's who you've helped, it's and mm-hmm. everything it, everything in the world is just relationships and connections. So if you don't have that, you should set about changing that for yourself and sharpening that skill set and sharpening that knife in your toolkit because I think it's so important to be able to network and meet people of all different industries and things like that. I would say the second one for me is that thinking out of the box creatively and just approaching things differently. And I... I do recommend the book Third Door because, again, it's if you weren't already kind of like in that zone before, it gives you a really good insight into how to approach things and how he did it for himself. He was someone who was this young man with no network, no connections, no nothing. Um, But he has now interviewed Bill Gates. He's interviewed Warren Buffett and he talks about all the, the journey to getting 
to these crazy interviews that he did. And, and I will say, I think for him as a guy, it probably is a bit easier because him taking a backpack and just rocking up at Bill Gates' house, you know, or that didn't actually happen, but like, you know, getting on a plane and I think he goes with, I can't remember how he did the Bill Gates thing, but he goes, he meets this random dude and just like says that he's going to meet him in Europe and takes this crazy flight and then goes and meets this guy. And I think that's a little, sadly, with the way things are, I just think it's a little mm-hmm. bit different for women, but it is really, really interesting. So I think thinking out of the box and being creative in your approach to business and entrepreneurship um, is my second one. And then a more tactical skill set that's helped me through my life would just be mm-hmm. design. Knowing Adobe and knowing how to do things on the computer really helped me because I'm absolutely not a graphic designer and I don't have the same vision as someone who is, but I've got the skill set to be able to like get my way by and do things that look okay-ish. And that has definitely helped me through kind of a lot of my journey. Amazing. And I'm just gonna gonna say that it's probably better than okay-ish. Just just saying, just bigging you up there a little bit. <laughs> Well, now Female Startup Club, that's that's definitely not me. I had a designer to do that, but my original Female Startup Club was, still, was okay-ish. Still. <laughs> no, um, I love those and, and thank you for sharing those you. because I, I couldn't agree more, especially as well, the networking one. It was interesting because um, as you will have probably heard by now, we also interviewed um, Sophia and Henry from Mustard Seed Maze on the show. And one of the things Sophia said was that uh, network is actually incredibly instrumental in women who, if you are looking to raise funds, which I know we spoke about in this episode of like pros and cons and things, but if you are, network is one of the biggest um, indicators in, in getting that done. And I think even if you aren't finding the right people you want to work with or um, indeed getting spreading the word about what you're doing, there's so many um, benefits. And What's interesting is when people think about networking, they think of a lot of men in a room shaking hands, going, you know, playing golf and like this kind of formal idea of networking. Whereas I actually think women naturally are very good at connecting and kind of what you said about giving back. And in that sense, it's a very natural way of how can I help you? How can you help me? Like it's it's um, less of a tit for tat thing and much more of a helping each other thing. And I love seeing that and watching that grow. I think now, especially online and on LinkedIn and so on, people are doing a lot more of that, which is super cool. Now, if people want to learn more about you, about Female Startup Club, about the not, you know, without a name yet, alcoholic wine company, (laughs) where can they go? Yeah. So all things Female Startup Club is just at Female Startup Club on Instagram or Twitter, or if you search in the podcast app uh, where you can hear the journey. For me, you can slide into my Instagram DMs or my Twitter or my LinkedIn. It's all at Dune Roisin, which is D-O-O-N-E-R-O-I-S-I-N. And yeah, I'm super happy to chat with anyone, super happy to connect and would love to hear from you. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dune. It's been a real, real pleasure. I've loved this conversation and good luck with everything. I'd love to hear back. Um, you know, in a few months time, in a year's time and see how it's going for you. And yeah, hope you have a fab day. Thank you so much, Maxime. I've loved this. This is really cool. Thank you, Dune. It was so great having her on the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and uh, learned a few things and, you know, reconsider a bit more about what it is that 
works for you, that is the type of business that you want to run and how you can leverage that spark of creativity and and stand out in your business. Um, As we've also been talking a lot about on the show this month is, you know, that value of network and, and who you know and what circles and communities you want to be in. So if that's you, check out uh, techliteracy.net because it was interesting actually how uh, June said it herself as well that, you know, there can be this barrier of that feeling of, hey, I don't speak this language. And if that's you and you are determined to continue on in technology, which is a fabulous industry, if you ask me, um, by all means, check out techliteracy.net for our program. Uh, We've just started enrolling a new cohort, but uh, if you are interested in joining our November cohort, get in touch. Now, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And as always, I'll be back later uh, this week with another episode in our VC investment series. So if you want to learn more about capital investment and how that works and why the stats are the way they are today, only 2.3% is going to female-founded businesses. Um, So yeah, tune in for that then later this week. And otherwise, I hope you have a fabulous day and see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,